0: I've been in church for about 45 minutes, and I have learned I don't want to be a monkey. <laughs> We're happy to be here. Haven't been here in a while. We're so happy to be back. Thanks, Pastor, for his invitation, allowing like us to come back and minister to you. Now, the second service, which will come up later, it'll be a, it'll be an entirely different message. We're going to deal a little bit with some spiritual warfare today, tonight at five. Uh, I can't wait for that. Five, this, this, Robbie will tell you my Sunday evening services are my favorite. If I go a whole week somewhere, do not miss it. I want to promise you don't miss it or you'll be hearing about it. Okay. If you miss it. And, um, Two more quick things before I minister. One is our resource table is in the back and Brother Robbie and some of our team is here. Anything you saw on Manifest is probably out there if you watch our program. And the other thing, for those of you that got our email, Partners Strike Force and Message of the Monthly Manna, Partners of our ministry, we have a meeting at 3.30 today. It's just for partners. It'll be right in that room. Is that right, Pastor? So don't miss that and uh, bring your books. We'll sign them for you and so on. Everybody happy? Say yes. yes. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, and also verse 8. I could have gone you know, to probably 50 different verses to oh, introduce a message, but Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, and also verse 8. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. Then it says this, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. You've often heard it spoken from pulpits and from ministers lips warning about instructing about or giving direction concerning what's called spiritual warfare. The word spiritual has a word in it spirit. First Thessalonians 5 23 says that you are a body you are a soul and that you are a spirit. It doesn't say bodily warfare although sickness can be a bodily warfare. It doesn't say Soulish warfare, although we know that there is battles in the mind, the soulish part, but it's called spiritual warfare. Why? I believe because spiritual warfare is to impact the spirit. It is the spirit that's eternal. It's the spirit that has been born again. It is the spirit that departs your body at death. It's the spirit that'll be separated from your body at death and go to heaven or hell according to scripture. So the battle is use the body, use the mind, use whatever's necessary to eventually attack the spirit, the inner spirit of a person. And spiritual warfare, as I have learned over 40 some years of ministry, is about several things. Number one, it's, de- it's designed to impact you spiritually. It's designed to distract you spiritually. And it's also designed to counteract you spiritually. Better, better said, to set you back spiritually. Now, for the next few moments, I'm going to cover warfare from the most different perspective. That I have in my entire ministry from a message the Lord gave me the first of the year, which might be one of the most significant messages he's given me in a long time. And I want to give that to you today. One of my favorite people in the Bible is David. Let me tell you why David is one of my favorite biblical characters. I cannot relate to Moses a guy that can take a dead tree limb and hold it up in the air and open up a sea. Look, I can't even walk in a lake without getting wet. Okay, so you can't even. I can't even. You know, get get near a lake and and, and you know, walking on water. Are you kidding me? Jesus did that. I cannot relate to Moses who can hold up a rod and plagues are created. I cannot relate honestly to a man by the name of Elijah who can throw. Uh, uh you know, just look look at water and make an iron head float, an axe head float, or can you know, Elisha who can call she bears out of the woods to attack his enemies. And I can go through the entirety of the Bible and tell you there's just people that, yes, I read their story, but I cannot relate. Now, I can relate to David because David is the, it, come on, let me say it this way. David is your homie. Come on, you read David's life? David just says, well, that's, 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 that's exactly like me. And he, he's over there one minute doing the work of God. Next minute, he's having to repent. Come on, I'm not talking to angels this morning. I'm talking to some saints in Granville, Michigan to understand what I'm saying. And then he's crying out for the hunger of God. God, I'm I'm hungry, but I want more. God, I'm thirsty, but I want more. And and he's dealing with these enemies, and he he can't do it, and he's got to depend on God and seek the Lord when people have turned against him. And then people who were his friends turned against him. Come on, am I relating to anybody already in this house? That's why I like David. David reminds me of me. He reminds me of you. Now, in David's life, I, I saw something one day that I want to share with you. There were four, the Bible tells us, four enemies that he fought he fought a bear and then he graduated to fight a lion and then he began to fight giants and then he fought the philistines now i want to go through this very quickly and share you what i see in those four enemies what is a bear a bear is something that you can see coming A bear is something that you are in the woods and you turn and there it is. Bears are problems that you know you're going to have to face and you see them coming and everybody has them. But then there's the lion. The lion is interesting because the lion, you can hear the roar, but you don't know where it's coming from. I've been to Africa and they tell me that a a lion's roar can be heard for miles. And yet the, the lion is miles away and you don't even see it. So those are problems that you hear about, but you haven't faced yet. You hear it's coming, but you haven't dealt with it yet. So there's the problems you see coming and the problems you hear that are coming. Then there's the third level, which which I I said uh, a moment ago, giants, but let's talk about David's real problem because he dealt with one giant, which was Goliath. King Saul, King Saul was his father-in-law. King Saul was blood-related to him through marriage, not through bloodline, but through marriage. He married Saul's daughter, and yet his father-in-law chased him through the wilderness 21 times and attempting to slay him or kill him. What is that? Those are problems with your in-laws. Now, I'm on somebody's territory right here. How many of you know, how many of you know that Jesus said a person's enemies will be those in their own home? He even said mothers will rise up against daughters and fathers will rise up against son and there'd be division or sword among family because of him. Jesus does not cause division, but depending on the level of faith you have in him and the walk that you have with him, it bothers some relatives of yours. I have found out that the reason some people don't like you is you convict him when you walk in the door. Yeah. <laughs> They're they're not serving God. They're away from God. You're serving God. Something in their spirit doesn't jive with your spirit, and it shouldn't. So, in other words, those are family issues. So, we've got problems. We see coming problems. We hear that are coming that we don't see. Then we've got the issues that we deal with as it relates to family. And then you have the Philistines. That's repetitive problems. Because if you read the story of David, he defeated the Philistines. And the Bible said, and the Philistines regrouped and came again. And so the Philistines are those problems that are repetitive cycles. Let me explain. They are the Jesus help me and I won't do this again. And you do it again a week later. And then a week later, Jesus help me. I promise you if you'll help me get me out of this trouble, I'll not do it again. And then a month later, you're back on. I see people nodding their head. Thank you for taking those halos off your head and agree with me this morning. So my point is that there are different types and different levels of spiritual warfare. The second thing I'll tell you is warfare absolutely is seasonal. Because in the Bible, there's things that are common to men, or the Bible says it this way, testings that are common to man. Then the scripture says that there are things that come in seasons, and then in Revelation 3, there's the hour of testing. Let me talk about seasonal for a moment because this confuses some people. They'll say, you know, God delivered me from something and six months later it tried to come back or three months later I had to deal with it again. This can be addictions This can be habits or things of that nature And what you have to understand is if you go to Luke chapter 4 when Satan is tempting Jesus He hit him with the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life All sin according to John comes in those three categories and Jesus got hit with all three of those when Satan said bow and worship me When Satan said command the stones to be he made bread. The three temptations of Satan fell into the category of lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. Now, the thing about a temptation, it says this, Jesus used the word to hit Satan back every time Satan brought a thought into Jesus' mind. Jesus took the word and hit Satan back. Then it says in Luke chapter 4, I believe it's verse 14, and when Satan had ended the temptation, he departed for a season. Everybody say the word Season. The the Greek word season is kairos, and that word is a set or appointed time. It would mean this, an appropriate time in the future when it's appropriate to do, I'll be back. So, if you remember the temptation of Jesus was, if you're the son of God, command the stones to be made bread. If you're the son of God, if you're the son of God. Well, look in the middle of Jesus' ministry, what are people saying? If you're the son of God, are you the son of God? They're still questioning if Jesus is the son of God. At the cross, what is happening? The thief on the cross said, if you're the son of God, save us. If you're the son of God, come off the cross. So, I don't see Satan telling the thief to say that. I don't see Satan in that text telling it, but the the, the the situation we have here is this that was satan using people to distract Jesus. In the beginning, it was Jesus and Satan head on. But at the end of his ministry, people are saying the same thing Satan said to Jesus three and a half years before in an attempt to discourage him. Now, you need to understand that your battles that you deal with are going to come and go in seasons. I asked my wife one time when she was having, uh, we have two kids, and she was in heavy labor. I said, how did you survive that? I mean, I can tell this is painful. She said, I survived it because I knew I would get a break in between the pains. She says, I knew the pain was there, then it would lift for a second, but she said, I always look forward to the break. So a lot of times in the testings of temptations that people of God have to go through, what we have to look forward to is, we know the break is coming somewhere. Come on. We know that we don't have to endure that forever, but God will give us what we call seasons of refreshing, Acts 3, or seasons of relief. Now, as I was meditating a while back on the life of David, something came to me that is extremely important that I want to get into and I want to share with you. And you're going to probably say, where is he going for the next 10 minutes? Well, we'll get there, I promise you, and you'll understand what this is all about. But I looked in the Old Testament and there were three main positions of the Old Testament of spiritual significance, the position of prophet, the position of priest, and the position of king. Now, all three of these positions were not just uh, governmental positions. They were actual spiritual positions in the eyes of God. Now, let me explain to you about each of these. The prophet represented the voice of God. The priest represented the presence of God. But the king represented the authority of God. In other words, when a prophet spoke to you, he would say, thus saith the Lord, speaking, as Paul said in the New Testament, as the oracles of God. Then when we talk about a priest, a priest's job was to bring you into the presence of the Lord. Through your offerings and through your sacrifice, sacrifices from the outer court, uh, burning the incense, offering the offering. It was about the presence of God as it related to a priest. But the king represented the authority of God. A king could go to battle. A king could war. A king could go and seize with his authority and take back what the enemy had attempted to take from him. A king could sign a decree and cause peace with nations. He could sign a decree for trade and immediately trade would begin. He could hire and fire people just by his decree just by taking the signet ring and stamping it with wax on a document the king had ultimate authority in the kingdom of Israel and uh, what i want the reason i'm sharing that with you is that normally you could not serve in two positions this is really important you hear this you could only be a prophet or a priest or a king one man served in two melchizedek melchizedek was king of jerusalem genesis 14 but melchizedek was also called a priest unto the most high god the Old Testament example is only him. You were not supposed to be and as a matter of fact, let me tell you what God felt. King Uzziah went into the temple to offer incense as a priest and ended up getting leprosy. Another man who was not a Levite, he was not a priest, touched the Ark of the Covenant and he dropped dead. Korah, who was not a Levite or a priest, takes strange incense and begins to burn it and he and 250 princes end up with the earth opening up and swallowing them. I can take you through the Bible and tell you, a priest could not cross into that of a king, a king could not... across into that of a, of a priest but the prophet was a distinguishing a uh, 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 um you could say position unto itself. Usually a prophet had to be chosen by God. One man in the Bible said I wasn't a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but God called me. Kings, however, were hereditary. The king's oldest son became the next king. The priesthood was the same way. You had to be a Levite to be in the priesthood, but if you were a high priest, your oldest son became the next priest in line. So here's my point. Number one, you could only serve normally, normally one position. Number two, Three, two of the three positions were hereditary. Now, why am I taking you through all of that to talk about the voice of God, the presence of God and the authority of God is because there's one man in the old Testament who oddly enough served all three positions, which was totally, completely unheard of in the old Testament. And his name was David. David in the book of Acts is called a prophet. As the prophet David has spoken. Psalms 22 there's about six to six to seven prophecies, script verses words that Jesus said on the cross or happened at the crucifixion just in Psalms 22. So David is called a prophet. Now watch this. We absolutely know that David was a king. He is called King David. We know in the Old Testament he's called King David. We know in the New Testament he's King David. So he's king. So we have David who's called a prophet, David, who's called a king, but we also know that David was a priest. Now, not a priest from the tribe of Levi. This is where it gets really strange. He's from the tribe of Judah. The priesthood were not Judahites. They were Levites. So how do I know David entered the, uh, was a part of the priesthood? One verse found in the New Testament and a passage of the old. He went into the tabernacle when he was hungry and he asked the priest to give me some of the shoe bread. You only could eat the shoe bread if you were a Levite. You could only eat the shoe bread if you were a priest. So, David eats the shoe bread, and even in the New Testament, and I'm gonna paraphrase this, Jesus brings this up about David eating the shoe bread, and God didn't kill David for eating the shoe bread because the Pharisees are all into the law, and you know, stone him for this, and kill him for that, and beat him on the head for this. And Jesus is trying to show an example of how God, come on, is the Lord of the Sabbath, and God is the Lord of all things. David is a prophet, David is a king, and David is a priest. Now, why was it significant? I hope you catch this. That David be a prophet and a priest and a king. Why was it significant? Because the Messiah who would come in the future is called son of David. And if the Messiah coming in the future comes out of the lineage of David and is marked as the son of David... Then the Messiah in the future has the right to become prophet, priest, and king. Jesus was a prophet on earth. How do we know? Because he said a prophet's without honor in his own country. Jesus is presently the high priest of heaven, ever interceding to make, or ever living to make intercession for you and I, according to Paul in the book of Hebrews. So right now, Jesus is in the position of priest. However... Jesus is a priest after the order of who? Melchizedek. Melchizedek was a priest and a king. So Jesus is presently high priest in heaven, but Jesus will become in Revelation 19, and I think it's sooner than later, king of kings and lord of lords when he returns to this planet to rule on this earth for a thousand years. It was important... That the Messiah be the picture of David, not in his imperfections, but in David's desire, in David's walk, in David's thirst, in David's hunger. And the prophecies of the Messiah are found, among other places, in the book of Psalms. So, son of David, have mercy upon me. Son of David is a term in the New Testament. It's a messianic term. It's related to Jesus and who he was. Now, you say, okay, that's fine. David's fine. That's cool. Jesus, that's fine. What about me? Here's what I've come by to tell you. Normally, normally, you should only be able to have one position. However, you can be prophet. You can be priest. You can be king. And I'm not going to tell you something without proving it from the Bible. In the Bible, in the New Testament, Paul talks about the gifts of the spirit, the vocal gifts. And he says something. Trust me, some people take this way out on the fringe. He said, I wish that all would prophesy. Now, let me make a statement. Just because you can give someone an accurate word from the Lord and you had a prayer meeting and gave them a word of knowledge and it came to pass does not make you a prophet or a prophetess. Because the people who have to call themselves prophets, and look, I'm a Pentecostal boy, four generations. The people who have to call themselves prophet and prophetesses are usually the flake. They got more flakes than cornflakes. You understand? They're more flaky than a box of cornflakes. And I'm telling you, they want to prophesy over everybody, give everybody a word. And somebody came to me and said, Brother Stone, do you have a word for me? I said, yes, do the last word God gave you. Someone else come and said, Brother Stone, do you have a prophetic word for me? I said, yeah, you ready for it? She said, yes, I'm ready. They got the pen. I said, go read the Bible. It's got everything in there that you need to know how to live right, how to do right, how to pray, how to get answers, how to get filled with the Holy Ghost. Read your Bible. <laughs> now, but my point is simply this. Prophesying in the New Testament does not necessarily mean looking at people and telling them the future and who they're going to marry, where they're going to go, what. Prophesying is edification, exhortation, and comfort. And the Bible teaches everybody in the body of Christ can exhort, everybody in the body of Christ can bring comfort, everybody in the body of Christ can encourage. So when someone's gone through a bad day and you just go and bring them a scripture and they said that's exactly what I needed, you did what Paul said in the New Testament. When someone has lost their family member and you tell them your your story of how you got through grief and sorrow and you've just lifted them up, you're doing what Paul talks about. That's what Paul is talking about. Talking about in the New Testament in the vocal gifts where all can prophesy. All right, is everybody still here? Shout yes. Yes. So that's the prophetic position that every believer can have. Someone said, okay, you said that we could have all three. What's the next one? Here's the next one. We are priests unto God. How do we know we're priests unto God? Well, read the book of Revelation chapter five. He has made us kings and priests unto God. Kings and priests. How are we priests unto God? Well, I'm going to tell you how we're priests unto God. The priest of the Old Testament were responsible for taking the animal sacrifices and presenting them to God on the altar, shedding the blood on the altar, and there was five offerings. There was forgiveness, there was trespass offerings, offerings for sin, trespass, there was offerings. Of fellowship, etc. There was different kinds of offerings. Now, aren't you glad? Somebody better shout with me right here. Aren't you glad that we don't have to bring animals into the church? good gracious, we'd have people, we'd have a pooper scooper ministry. We'd be going around, get the sheep stuff right there. Come on, somebody's coming to the house of God. You know, we'd we'd, we'd have a mess on our hands if we had to bring the sheep and the animals to church. But let me tell you what we do today. Ready? The Bible says we offer up praises unto God, which is the fruit of our lips. He calls it a sacrifice of praise. Then the Bible tells us that when we give in our tithe and we give in our offerings, that is our sacrifices. No bulls, no rams, no lambs, no turtle doves, no pigeons. But as priests unto God. What we do, we did. You've done two things today as a priest unto the most high God. You've offered a sacrifice of praise which Bible says is the fruit of your lips and you've offered a tithe and offering which is your giving. We don't bring the animals today. We bring the finances which is the blessings that God has given us to present it to the house of God and the kingdom of God. Therefore that is how you are a priest unto the most high God through your sacrifices and through your words. Now the third level is kings. We are kings and priests unto God. How do we know we're kings? Because the Bible said we will rule and reign with him as he is king for 1,000 years. And when you go and read the scripture, the Bible tells you in the parable, some will rule five cities, some will rule ten cities. In our rewards in the millennial reign, we will be ruling with him on earth and we will have positions on earth of rulership. That's authority. That's the king level. Now you say, okay, what does that have to do with spiritual warfare? I'm glad you told me, because your attacks, now I want you to look at warfare differently than you've ever looked at it before, because your attacks that you go through, believe it or not, I've been preaching 41 years, never read this, never saw this, somebody's going to come up to me and say their uncle George wrote a book 50 years ago about this, I'm sure, but I'm saying it was new to me, is your attacks are against The prophetic, your attacks are against the level of your kingship, and your attacks are against the level of your priestly ministry. Now, to help explain this, let me break it down for you. Number one, your battles that come in season will be a prophetic battle. What is a prophetic battle? Here's your prophetic battle. Your prophetic battle is a battle against what God has promised you, what God has spoken over you. Most of the time, your conflicts come for the enemy to get you to stop believing before you get your breakthrough. God, a prince of Persia came to Daniel and stopped Daniel's prayer for 21 days. And I believe if Daniel would have just stopped praying, he would have never got the answer to Daniel chapter 10, 11, and 12 that he received. See, the battles that you deal with are over what you said. How do I know that? Because when Paul wrote to Timothy and the church didn't, some of the church didn't like him because he was too young to be a pastor according to some, but he writes to Timothy and he said this. I love this verse. With the prophecy that went before you, War A Good Warfare. There are times that you have to go pull the journal out where you were in the prayer meeting and God told you five years ago that he was going to save your kids. Your kids aren't converted yet, but you need to go back and remind God, not that God's forgot, but God did say, put me in remembrance. Let us plead together. Declare thou that thou mayest be justified. Do you know why God likes for you to quote his word? Not because he forgot it, because he wants to know you know it. Out. How can you claim something you don't know? How can you believe something that you've never heard? How can you lay hold of a promise that you don't even know that exists? That's the reason for quoting the scripture. Not because God has to hear his word quoted. Because his word is forever settled in heaven. Heaven and earth will pass away. But the word of God will never pass away. But God wants to know. My child knows what I have said. You fight the enemy. Luke 4. Matthew 4. With the word of God. And so when Satan wants to attack the prophetic in you he wants to attack words that have been spoken he wants to attack promises which have been said he wants to attack the things that you've written down that you know came from God I'll give you a tweetable moment never get up give never give up in the night what God showed you in the light never give up in the night In the hard time, in the dark time, what God showed you when the times of inspiration and power was there. Number two, what is the the battle over your priestly battle? What's your priestly battle? Ready? Your priestly battle is very simple. Oh, I'm going to go somewhere here now. It's over your worship and your giving. Because it's real funny how some people feel like it's okay to go to the Alabama-Michigan game, national championship game, example only, and... And fuck, because we got Ohio State fans here, I'm sure, as well. But we go to a game, and it's okay to just go crazy at the game. It's normal. Hey, it's fun. I've been to these games. I've been to Chap- Alabama uh, chapel services and prayed for players and everything else. I like it. I-, I I have a blast. But why do we think it's okay to do that? But the same people who are saved will go to the house of God and think that you pardon me if you're Indian, but I'm I got my, my-, my wife's got Cherokee. But let me say this we, we want to go to a game and yell like the Cherokee. Indians and go to church and sit like a totem pole. The only, sorry, that's the only analogy I could come up with at this moment under this inspiration I'm under. Blame it on the anointing. <laughs> I want to tell you something that the battle that you're going to go through is, well, why do I have to do like that? Why are they raising their hands? Why are they clapping their hands? Why can't we just sit here? Why do we have to praise God out loud? Well, here's reason number one, because the Bible said, clap your hands, all you people, shout unto God by the voice of a trumpet. Here's reason number two. I would therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Here's reason number three, out of the abundance of the heart, the man Speak speaking. Can I tell you if I've got praise in my heart, it'll come out of my mouth. Can I tell you if I have to struggle with it, it's not really in my heart. If I've got to pull it out of you, it's not really in your heart. Oh my. But the enemy will try to tell you that you don't need to worship. It'll be a battle. You don't need to act that way. You don't need to worship. First of all, it's not an act. Secondly, the reason I worship is because he says they the worship, the Father must worship him in spirit and in truth. And if God has four angels, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365.25 days a year, who cry, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty, if he likes praise that much, then how much more does he not want to see those who are made in his image and made in his likeness lift lift his name up and worship him when we're in the house of God? So when the enemy tells you to be quiet and shut up, you need to say, no, 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 you're trying to, you're trying to affect me in my level. Oh, preach Perry, I think I will. In my, <laughs> you're trying to affect me in my priestly level of approaching God and I'll not have it. And the second thing is in giving. Have you ever, did you ever, how many of you, let me ask you a question. How many of you uh, remember when you were not saved and really, really not saved? Where's the really, really, I remember when I really, really wasn't saved. Crowd, raise your hand. Keep your hand up. How many of you partied? Raise your hand if you partied. Okay, I see some of you still partying. Come on, but let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Uh, how many of you know that on a weekend, I asked some guys one time, I said, what'd you spend on a weekend for your, your parties? The average, the average in the South was $200. These guys are making three or and $400 a week and spending $200, bars, strip clubs, alcohol. One guy told me his name was Bones. Now, now, just get the picture, Bones. He was a Harley biker with tattoos all over him, Bones. So you know what he did, okay? Bones would spend, Robert, do you remember how much it was? 1500 to 3000 a weekend just on drugs. Thank God Bones got saved. I wouldn't want to meet Bones on a Harley on a dead-end street in Michigan. Do you understand? That's the kind of guy he was. Now, isn't it funny how that you didn't mind laying down the money at the bar? Didn't bother you. You look forward to it. Strip club, whatever it was. But when you go to church and pull out that same amount of money you used to spend, Why does it suddenly become hard to give? You went, oh, I'm going to preach to you anyway. I I got the pulpit and the mic. So while I'm up here, you're going to hear it. Okay. Now, I want want you to think about this for just a moment. Think about for a moment that when you were in sin, you never struggled. When you got, you, you got these girls, you're trying to impress. You never struggled with, with laying anything out for them. Hey, I've got your drink, baby. You want another one? You didn't mind. But then, isn't it funny, now you look at that 20 and you hear, you might need that, you might need that, you might need that. You didn't think about that at the bar? I'm preaching better than you're listening, but I'm going to keep preaching anyhow, okay? <laughs> no, isn't it the truth? So I'm going to give you the word that God gave me, and this, you'll never forget this if you'll receive this. Whew. I asked people several years ago, I used to do this in my meetings, I'd say, what did you spend when you were in sin? 200 bucks. What did you spend? 300. What did you spend? 400. What did you spend? Five. Really, a week? Oh yeah, a week. And then everybody in the church would, I said, okay, what was your average? And it averaged out in the average church, $150 a weekend. That's what it averaged. And I said, now here's what the Lord wants me to tell you. When you were in sin, you wasted all that money on what you thought was a good time. And all you ended up with was a hangover, headaches, and tickets for driving drunk. Come on. Are you with me? And when you got saved, all God did was ask you to transfer a little bit of what you wasted into his kingdom where it can be an eternal reward. How can you fuss about that? I hope somebody's getting this. Because, see, the enemy, the battle over your worship and the battle over your giving is because the blessing That comes through your worship and through your giving. So if he can make you hold back, make you feel like it's not necessarily or get you to resent it. What will eventually happen to you is you can rob not only the Lord, but you rob yourself of blessings that God would give you. And the third level, I won't spend much time on this because I want to I want to share one thing with you is the kingly battle. The kingly battle to me is over your destiny. It's where you're going. The king, because remember this, kings have authority. Kings speak with authority, they write with authority. And so the enemy doesn't want you to position yourself where God can use you. So he'll do everything in his power to destroy you. Now, I'll tell you one story. Some of you, when I was here before, probably remember, it's a couple of years back, we had a conference here, me talking about my son, Jonathan. And my son, Jonathan, went through a nine-year addiction problem. We didn't even know he had it for about three years. He hid it real well. And uh, one time, one night, he took 70 pills and ended up in the emergency room very close to death. And I would go up in his room and there'd be a Jack Daniels. He was hiding it from me. And every time I found Jack Daniels, Jack went in the toilet. I said, son, I don't want this spirit in my house. I don't want this stuff in my house. So I'd pour it out and he'd just cuss me out and get mad. And I would look at him and I, I, I would always tell Robbie, boy, if God ever touches Jonathan, if God ever touches Jonathan, if, 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 if. This is for somebody here. And then one day the Lord spoke to me and he said, if always puts it off in the future, if is a question. You know if is a question? I'll come if, I'll be there if, it's question. And God said, all the time you say if, you're questioning me. Quit saying if I touch him and say when I touch him. And I'm telling you, my whole prayer changed. Everything, everything I was doing changed and I received a prophetic word. I, I wish I had time to tell you the whole story because it's absolutely credible. But after this battle of my wife laying awake at night, wondering if he's going to die, knocking on his door, he would be so out of it. We'd knock on the door and almost have to break the door down, thinking maybe he'd had a heart attack in the middle of the night. Ended up in an emergency room. All this is going on. But I remember this. I remember someone came up to me. It was just a real simple word, Brother Perry, I want to tell you what the Lord told me. The Lord said to tell you that your boy's going to go to bed one night one way. Wake up. Next morning, totally different. It's going to happen overnight. I looked at him, and I think to myself, I've been, I've been praying for that for nine, for nine years. But you know what I said? I said, I received that. And I hid it in my heart. Did it happen the next day? Nope. Did it happen the next month? No. But my boy, one, one morning, got up. He'd been up all night. And he walks down with his, his uh, well, anyway, he was dressed weird. He walks down. <laughs> I'm trying to find the right word to describe, but I can't find it. But he comes down. He'd been up all night. Here's the shovel. He said, "Dad, don't ask you a question." I said, "Yes, son." He said, "Dad, I've made some mistakes the past couple of years. This is not where you, as a parent, go." That's right. That's what I've been telling you. Don't do that. You say, "Really? Really? You think so? Really?" And he said, uh, "You know, I'm working down at the restaurant, but I don't want to do that the rest of my life." He said, "You all sent me to school for computers." And he looks at me and he says, "This, I promise. Do you have a job for me in the ministry? Now?" I didn't act surprised. I was literally doing flip flops, cartwheels, because he used to F me off and tell me he wouldn't be a preacher, wouldn't work in the ministry. Now I had to send him to jail one night. He told me he'd never, he hated me, would never talk to me again. I said, Tell me that when you need gas money next week. But God spoke to me and he said, Talk to the king in him and not the fool in him. So I'd see him and said, How's the man of God doing? He called me a man of God. You know, I, I said, No, you're a man of God. I said, I'm not talking to the fool in you, I'm talking to the king in you. And I kept telling him, there's a king in thee. And there's a king in you. I said, when you, when you act like this, I don't see Jonathan the fool. I see Jonathan the king. And I, I would not let him get me mad anymore. I wouldn't let him provoke me anymore. I wouldn't let him get me in an argument anymore. But every time he'd want to argue, I said, I'm going to talk to that king in you. I don't know what happened. But I'm going to tell you today, today, he's married. I'm getting ready to have my first grandbaby in October. Oh, yeah. Listen, listen. And Robbie will tell you, he works in the ministry. He's a total genius. He does all the social media. We're building a lodge. He's got a brand new studio he's ordering. And he is 180. Right, Robbie? 180. And I'm not telling you it's anything we did except understand Satan wanted to kill the king in him. And you you understand how I'm saying this, right? But the foolish part, even the Bible talks about the foolishness of a child. But the foolish part of him was rising up. But God said, no, there's a king. This morning, I want to say this, and this is my altar call. For some of you here, there's a king in you. There's a queen in you. I'm, I'm serious when I tell you this. And Satan has tried to wreck your destiny. He's tried to ruin you. He's tried to destroy you. He's tried to get you involved with things that will take you out prematurely. And I want you to bow your head with me right now all over this building. And please be as honest with me as you can. This message was, I believe, for everyone to some extent. But who in this building knows that there's a bondage, there's a situation, there's hidden sin or there's sin or there's just things you're involved with. Or maybe you used to know the Lord and you've been drifting away from him. And you know, a battle took you away. Something happened that pulled you away. But this morning, you know, like my son, the light came on. the The light, the revelation came on. But like my son, you know, I can't keep going this way. Perry, pray for me. I want God to really help me. I want to be what God wants me to be. But my life and what I've been going through and how I've been living is not adding up to what I know it needs to be. Maybe you're a backslider. Maybe you've grown cold on Him or indifferent or lukewarm. Put your hand up right now on the count of three. One, two, three. Put your hand up. Let me see. Let me see. Yes. All over the building. All over the building. All over the building. All over the building. Thank you. God bless you, sir. God bless you, babe. God bless you, young person. God bless you. Up in the balcony. Let's see. Up in the balcony. Right up in the balcony. Let's see. Would you do something? I want to pray for you. And I like to I like to I like to be close to people when I pray this prayer because I want to see them. On the count of three, stand to your feet and just walk to the front of this building all at one time. Don't even think twice about it. And let me pray for you. Are you ready? One, two, three. Come on right now in Jesus' name. God bless you. Let's give them a hand while they come. This is very, very important. We bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We bless you. We bless you. We bless you. We bless you. Come on, keep clapping your hands. Let them know. I want somebody to let them know we're with you. We're behind you. We're with you. We'll stand with you. We're praying with you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Keep coming. Keep coming. Keep coming. Bless his name. 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 name. Oh, we bless you, Father, in the name of Jesus, we bless you. We bless you, we bless you, we bless you. Amen. Now, I want I to mention to you that this is very important. I know some of you have been following the Lord. Maybe there's been slip-ups along the way. And there may be some of you that just said, man, I totally turned. I should have never done it. That doesn't matter as of this point. Doesn't matter as of this point. Really doesn't. We're going to forget those things that are behind and we're going to reach for the things that are before. Would you, would, you, would you in the congregation just lift your hands? No one leaving just yet. Pastor's coming in a moment. Just keep your hands up. Now, all of you that are down here, you got to pray this prayer out loud. Say it out loud with me Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, your word has touched my heart. But I'm asking you right now take out of me all sin, all disobedience, any rebellion. Anything, Lord, that's contrary to you, cleanse my heart, cleanse my soul and my spirit by the blood of Jesus. Help me, Heavenly Father, to follow you all the way from this moment forward in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen.